Suddenly a penny dropped while I was on an aisle 18 or whatever it is. (laughs) And I suddenly found myself actually choking up Hmm. in the middle of Kroger because I suddenly realised something I hadn't noticed before in the passage. And I just saw something of, of Jesus in that text I hadn't seen before and which touched me and overwhelmed me. Um, but it's often while I'm doing something else and it's just percolating in my mind that those insights then come. Welcome back to You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. I'm Ray Ortland. I'm with my friend Sam Alberry. Hey, Ray. And we're going to think now about sermon preparation and gospel culture. Preaching is the ministry of word and sacrament lies at the center of pastoral ministry. We have the privilege of, even in our fallibility, to some imperfect but real degree, being the voice of Christ himself into the world today, Mm. gathering sinners to his heart. What an amazing privilege. We want to do this well. So, In this uh, episode, Sam, let's link the ministry of preaching with the nurturing of gospel culture Mm. and and think through together, think out loud with our friends listening. How can we preach in such a way as to nurture, develop, and uh, make even more beautiful the reality of gospel culture in our churches? What are some thoughts that you have? Yeah, well, the the first thing is, what, what are we asking the Lord to do? As we prepare our sermons and as we stand up to to give our sermons, um, what I what I pray for has shifted over the years. Um, I've always prayed that I'd be faithful, that God would use it, that God would speak. Um, but now I find myself praying for more than that, which is I, I want people to to see and revel in the beauty of Jesus. Um, I want I want us to be wowed by Him, and so. I'm I'm praying the Lord would help us do that as I start preparing and as I actually stand up and give the sermon, that something in this would help us find fresh ways to to love Jesus. So you see yourself on a a growth and change trajectory through the years in your preaching ministry. Yes, I, I look back over past sermons and almost always I had the same verdict, which is too much exegesis, too little Jesus. I'm doing too much just explaining the text and not enough proclaiming Christ. And those two are not, you know, completely unrelated, obviously. Of course. But yes, I I've I think in 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 the past I would spend too much time simply going through exegetical observations and insights, which have their place and are, are useful and can be interesting. Um but aren't necessarily presenting Jesus. I think of what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 1 about, was not Christ portrayed as crucified? And I don't think it's because Paul had a kind of Pictionary whiteboard and was drawing pictures of of Jesus on the cross. There was something in Paul's preaching of the gospel where people could see in their mind's eye Jesus and his giving of himself for them. And so that's that's what I'm mm. gunning for now. That's what I'm longing for in my sermons is that people would see Jesus. I remember stepping into the pulpit of my home church for the very first time 
preaching my first ever sermon, noticed a little inscription on the pulpit that said, Sir, we would see Jesus, which I think is from the book of Acts. Mm. That is the very way in which my own preaching has changed the most over the years. Um, I actually, Sam, I'm grieved when I look at the first early years of my preaching. I didn't understand what preaching was for. Mm. I thought I was there to challenge Christians to be better Christians, to coach them in upping their game as Christian believers. And I, I didn't actually cross the line into scolding. Uh, some of us pastors do at times, and we have no right to do that. But I am embarrassed and grieved at the preaching that I sincerely gave myself to. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't realize what I was doing. I was helping people upgrade themselves. And I was doing it expositionally from Scripture. And therefore, it seemed self-reinforcing. Mm. But now, uh, the authority of Scripture, the message of Scripture, I understand to be exactly what you've said. It is for the presentation of Christ in His perfect obedience, replacing our shoddy obedience. Yeah. And his atoning death, replacing our self-punishments. Mm. And Jesus, in his grace and glory, Jesus himself made vividly real to people, as had to be the case when Paul said, Christ was presented to you. Yeah. If I can, now a, a successful, meaningful sermon that I can praise God and rejoice over um, is one in which Jesus is made obvious and I am enjoying yeah. the very proclamation of Christ because he's being made obvious. Yeah. And I can tell in the congregation and the people there's a quietness that settles upon them. And they're hanging on every word, not because of my rhetoric, not because of my exegesis, but because they're connecting with the risen Christ himself. Mm. He is there. We deeply long to preach that way. Mm. It's a different kind of preaching. It is. I've, I've mentioned in the past, I won't dwell on it now, but in Ephesians 2.17, Paul says that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to, to those who were near. So in Paul's preaching of Christ, Christ was preaching Christ. And that's, that's, you know, now I know that's a thing. I don't ever want anything less than that. Yeah. We are not in the pulpit to form our own sort of brand for articulating the gospel, that everybody knows, oh, that's Ray Ortland's message. Mm. That's Sam Albury's message. How contemptible. Yeah. Who do we think we are? We preach not ourselves, but Christ crucified, Paul said. And of course, in Romans chapter 10, this verse <laughs> blows my mind. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, this is this concatenation of, of conditions that have to be set up for people to to mm. lay hold of Christ himself. And so, and we preachers are 
a part of that process. That It's a great privilege. But the second question of the three, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, actually, that's not the best translation. The verb to hear, akuo, in the New Testament, does not take an accusative direct object. It takes a genitive direct object. So when you have akuo with an object in the genitive, it's not hear of him, but it's hear him. For example, in the narrative of the transfiguration in the Gospels, when the Father above says, this is my beloved Son, listen to him, hear him. It's akuo with the genitive case. That's the grammar here in Romans 10, uh, verse 14. So the translation should say, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? It is essential for Christian belief to spread through the world, the essential condition is that people would hear him. Mm. That's real preaching, because this is in a context of preaching. Yeah. And it, it lifts it from being mere instruction, which is no bad thing. We like instruction. We need instruction. But it, it, preaching is meant to be so much more than that. It's not just data transfer. Here's some here's some more theology to stick inside your skull. It's wanting people to encounter Jesus himself. Yes. Of course, my dad was the best preacher I've ever heard, hands down. And he had a God-given way. And it was also in that upper middle-class church there in California, socially acceptable, not embarrassing. Hmm. He had a God-given, socially acceptable way to preach Christ such that the Lord himself was present. It was as if my dad was reaching out and taking the hand of the listener and gently, acceptably putting that person's hand into the hand of Christ himself Mm. in preaching, not a one-on-one counseling session. Mm. I've never seen that anywhere uh, else in any other ministry. But God gave my dad that ability, and it seemed to me apostolic. Hmm. That was happening in the first century. And of course, it's happening wonderfully today. It's just that I'm saying, I as a preacher, I want to get in on that. Yeah, That's how I want to preach. So how do we get from that aspiration? How do we, how do we get from A to B? So that that's what we long for now. That's that's the vision the Lord has given us. That's what we want to see happening. But it's Monday morning. I've got a new text to preach for the following Sunday. How do we get to that? What do we do? Well, let's think about study preparation and ramping up for Sunday morning, the Sunday morning ministry. How do you do that, Sam? Um, I'm doing it at the moment. I'm preaching this Sunday. Um, so I'm in the midst of this this process myself. I I and being a preacher, I've alliterated this. <laughs> um, I have different stages of sermon preparation. The first is discovery. So I'm just in the passage and just seeing stuff, noticing stuff. I'm not pressuring myself yet to have a message. I'm just discovering all the gems that are in there, um, running around the place and looking at everything. Um, I'm at the moment in between stages two and three, which is deliberation and design. So deliberation is I'm trying to think through what is all of this stuff I'm noticing? Mm. 
what does it mean? What's its what's its message? Um, what am I meant to be thinking about? What is a what is a text drawing my my attention to? Design then is is okay. I need to think through how to how to plan and structure a sermon such that I now have a sense of okay, this is the message, and this is the way to convey that message. Um, and then obviously delivering said sermon both in terms of writing the message and then getting ready to stand up and actually preach it. So those are those are my four D's: discovery, deliberation, design, delivery. Throughout all of it, we need dependence on the Lord. So at the moment, I'm in Mark 10, 13 to 16, and I'm noticing some amazing things about Jesus in the text. Um, But I haven't yet assembled those different things I've noticed into a, okay, so this is the message, and this is going to be the shape of the sermon. That's that's tomorrow's job. Mm. And we believe that even as the Holy Spirit is in the preaching moment, the Holy Spirit is also in preparation. Yeah. So we respect preparation. Yeah. Paul says in um, in one of the, the letters to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying and the Lord will give you insight into this. Um, that's a both and, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We, we do. We are meant to reflect. We're meant to spend time lingering over Scripture. And as we do so, we pray the Lord would give us insight. We don't assume... Unless the Lord gives me instant insight, I've got nothing else to do. You know, we, that sometimes we have to spend a lot of time with the text to, to get the insight. But we we have to both use our our minds and the faculties God has given us, and be prayerfully dependent on Him to give us the that that inner understanding. And we want to respect the people such that we want to bring to the, to them on Sunday morning something that has been uh, thought through carefully, responsibly. It's not only out of reverence toward the Lord, but out of respect for the people. We're not inviting them into church so that they can waste their time on something that is slapdash on our part. Yeah, I I can't remember if I've mentioned this or not, Ray, but I, I grew up with a very significant fear of public speaking. And I'm really grateful for that because... It was not natural or intuitive for me to become a preacher. You know, would have been the last thing I would have wanted to have done. But I sensed that was what the Lord had for me to do, that it had been confirmed in, in various ways. For the first time in my life, I actually had something I wanted to say in front of other people. Ah, yes. But that fear meant that I never presumed, oh, I've just got the gift of the gab. I can just stand up in front of people and I'll always be scintillating and, you know, captivating to people i i actually can't stand up in front of people unless unless i believe i have something for them to hear good for you so i'm i'm grateful for that fear because it's made me think i don't have the gift of the gap i used to wish i did i'm really glad now i don't because it it could easily make me lazy i've i've heard preachers who are spellbinding to listen to but on the monday morning i can't remember a thing they said hmm and that's a danger. So I'm I'm glad I don't have that natural <laughs> small C kind of charismatic um kind of gifting because it means I actually I I want to have I want to have a clear message Monday morning for the saints at Emmanuel that I believe the Lord has given me to preach to them. Very good. I I've got several words not alliterated, uh, so uh 
but here they are, one, digging. Uh, and the uh, we're going to talk in a moment about the uh, Crossway Scripture Journals mm-hmm. that they so wonderfully produce. That would be a great tool for the digging. Yeah, you can scribble all over them and that's right. Make all kinds of mess. And and I get out my Greek New Testament. I get out my Hebrew Bible. I get out you know more than one translation. I've got a pad. I do this old school. You know, I actually write it out, and I just dig into the text. I want to understand everything, and I thoroughly enjoy that spade work in the text. So that's first. Secondly waiting. Mm. And here I'm talking about the intervals between those study times. Yeah. I, I leave my study to go to a meeting. I leave my study to go take a walk with my wife. Um, I, I leave my study to do other things. But when I have really engaged mentally, mm. and then I'm involved in the um, other activities of life, my mind is not standing still. Mm. My mind is mulling over the passage even during these intervals when I'm doing other things, so that when I come back for my second chunk of study time, I find as I begin, I'm even further down the road yeah. than when I left off at the last time. And I'm seeing new things. I saw so I'm scribbling like mad, writing down these, so these, these new insights that I've gained while waiting. I, I really resonate with that, Ray. I, I was in Kroger yesterday. Um, I'd spent a lot of time with, in the text at my desk Prior to that, I wanted to go out and run some errands, and I suddenly a penny dropped while I was on yeah. an aisle 18 or whatever it is. <laughs> and I suddenly found myself actually choking up hmm. in the middle of Kroger because I suddenly realized something I hadn't noticed before in the passage, and I just saw something of of Jesus in that text I hadn't seen before and which touched me and overwhelmed me. Um, but it's often while I'm doing something else and it's just percolating in my mind that those insights then come. Which is why if we're going to give, say, eight hours in preparation for a Sunday morning sermon, it's better not to spend eight consecutive hours on a Saturday, but four uh, two-hour chunks of time throughout the week, you'll get way further down the road. Yeah. in terms of understanding and insight and satisfaction. So digging, secondly, waiting, thirdly, obviously writing. Uh, and I manuscript my sermons. It's a bad habit, but I'm too old to change. Uh, <laughs> writing, I want, I, I, I really care about every word. I want to, I want to say things in, in such a way that I don't give the impression this passage is what you basically heard last week in the other passage. But this passage has something to say that is unique in Scripture, and yeah. it's special. So writing, and that's careful, and then uh, it's very careful writing. Then refining, uh, I come back to it, and I rewrite it, and I rewrite it, and I rewrite it, and partly because I'm compulsive. And then finally, so I, I go and I preach, and then finally, resting, mm. because I'm going to preach again the next Sunday, mm. and I need to rest. Right, that's so important. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's part of the preaching ministry. It's not preaching, but resting. And when we're resting, I have found, Sam, especially on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday, uh, something in me, I just collapse. I And I feel defeated. I feel like a failure. I feel stupid. And um, various forms of despair. And what I've come to realize, and I can't remember now who it was, there was a very fine lecturer at Fuller Seminary who wrote books on stress in ministry and so forth. He said, when that's happening in a post-ministry 
uh, sag of your spirit. Mm. Your adrenal gland is drawing upon your body, replenishing itself for the next big push. Yeah. And you're feeling sad and depleted because your body is working. It's a good thing that's happening. Yeah. And, and it's not as though if you were just more spiritual, you wouldn't feel this letdown. Uh, but, but God has designed you in such a way that you need rest. Go ahead and accept it and realize God is getting you ready for the next big push. So wow, resting so is a part of that. I'm struck as well. You mentioned rewriting um, as, as, a, as a stage. And Paul, the, the two things I think Paul most often asks people to pray for him, one is that he would speak clearly, and the second is that he would speak boldly. But it's interesting that he, he asks repeatedly for people to pray that he would preach clearly. Um, he puts a high premium on that. And I, I find, Ray, that I probably spend longer rewriting than I do writing. Yes. Because I'm, what I'm aiming for then is it takes me one one swing just to try and figure out what I'm saying. It takes me many more swings to figure out how to say it as well as I can. Oh, well done. Well done. It's easy to be trite and predictable and people tune us out. Yeah. We actually lose an opportunity. But to be, uh, to borrow a phrase from Pastor TJ Timms, to be category busting, yeah. that takes revising and careful thought. Okay, let's come back to these Crossway Scripture Journals, Sam. Crossway mm. sponsors the You're Not Crazy podcast, and we really appreciate everybody there at Crossway Books. The Scripture Journals, how can they be useful to pastors? Oh, in, in so many ways, Ray. We've mentioned one already, which is that they can be great for sermon preparation, for scribbling all over the text and circling things, looking at connections and that kind of stuff. Um, they can be useful to give to the congregation. We've done this at Emmanuel a couple of times. If we've had a particular sermon series, we've managed to give everyone in the congregation the scripture journal of that book of the Bible um, as a way of encouraging people to sort of read through the, the text themselves and, and make notes and so on. Um, I use them in, in one-to-one um, sessions. I, there's um, a younger Christian I, I was going through Mark's gospel with, so it was just easier to buy him a scripture journal, got one for myself, and we would both go through it and sort of jot down insights and, and that kind of thing. And I use them just in my own devotional life, um, working through Song of Songs at the moment. And I... I wanted to, to use the scripture journal because there's certain things I want to, I, I, I do sometimes write in my Bible, but I'm, I can be a little bit more kind of crazy when it comes to the scripture journals and it gives me more space to, to write down things and to, to circle things and, and just to play around with it. The reason why Crossway did the scripture journals is the foundation of it, the confidence is the Bible does not suppress thinking. The Bible arouses thinking. Hmm. So when we have the uh, uh, margins and the lines on the facing page and the spaces between the lines on the text page and so forth, it gives us plenty of opportunity to satisfy the desire to engage thoughtfully with the text, to press into it, to, to dare to meet this challenge of thinking, thinking, thinking. And to record the thoughts that are being aroused within us, the insights we're mm. gaining and so forth. Uh, we're, we're, we're like uh, pirates uh, opening up this uh, vast treasure chest <laughs> and running our fingers through all these 
coins and jewels and so forth. That's such a lovely way of putting it. There's something unique about the Bible in in that regard, isn't there? We we assume when we read the Bible, we're going to need some space to park some some profound thoughts. Yes. Okay. We we don't have that format when we buy a novel at the airport to read on the plane. It doesn't have blank yes. pages because, well, we're going to want to really write down some profound thoughts. <laughs> but we, we assume we will need that with the Bible. Yeah. So this, the Scripture Journals from Crossway, killer. Thanks, guys. God bless. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry. Produced and edited by Andrew Lapara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts. Mm-hmm.